It's often asking the question, why? Why does the text mean things in this way? Or why does, why does this particular cultural phenomenon exist? What, how is it reflective of a particular culture? Those are really challenging questions to answer when you have a low level of proficiency. And so, you know, I would encourage teachers to think really carefully about how they're scaffolding their lesson plans to build to that more higher order thinking. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Kate Paisani joins us to follow up her talk, Multiliteracies, Pedagogy, and Teacher Professional Development, From Research to Practice. We'll learn how educators can integrate multiliteracies into their curriculums. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are excited to have Kate Paisani with us today. Dr. Paisani is the director for the Center for Advanced Research on Language Acquisition, CARLA, at the University of Minnesota. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on multiliteracies pedagogy and teacher professional development, and we will extend our conversation about this topic on our podcast. Welcome, Welcome to speaking. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I you gave it to me this either. time. <laughs> Sorry, Sam, please. <laughs> Welcome to Speaking of Language, Kate. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are so excited. We're welcoming you left and right. That's just how that goes. <laughs> it feels good to be welcomed by there multiple people. Yes. Kate, your talk was uh, really interesting and very inspiring, and I'm, I'm itching to be back in, in the classroom myself. Before we talk more about multiliteracies, can you talk a little bit about your background, your research, and your path with languages? Yeah, so I, maybe I'll start with my path with languages, um, since that's, to me, the most interesting part of my background. So my father grew up speaking Italian. His parents were Italian immigrants. And um, when I was a kid, he used to speak on the telephone with them. And I, would, I can remember exactly what the decor was in my parents' house and where I sat while he was on the telephone with them. And I was sort of transfixed by these conversations that he was having in a second language, trying to figure out what he was saying to my grandparents. And I would always feel delighted when he got off the phone and I understood what he had said. So I think that that sparked an interest in language learning for me. I um, didn't have the opportunity to study Italian in my school system, so I studied French. Um, and I, it just came really naturally to me. And so um, I knew that that was something that I wanted to do for my career. In terms of becoming um, an academic, that wasn't as certain for me. I. I went to college and had a really good time, and I knew I wanted to do something with French, much to my parents' chagrin, and I couldn't figure out anything to do except become a teacher, so I applied to graduate programs that had an MAT. It was kind of a trendy degree at the time. It was in the 1990s, and um, applied to programs that had an MAT, went to Indiana University, ended up doing a master's in French linguistics instead. I had a professor who encouraged me to go on and do the PhD, and I said, well, okay, why not? I'll try it. And, and then, I, so I got a PhD in French linguistics. I did a, a dissertation in theoretical syntax, 
And then I got a job as a language program director and, and sort of refashioned myself into an applied linguist and became really interested in how to teach text, um, really. That was what inspired me. That's kind of what got me to where I am today. When I was a grad student, I got thrown into a second year class where I had to teach authentic literature and nobody taught me how to do it. And that bothered me a lot because I wanted to be good at it. Mm -hmm. And so when I had the opportunity to start doing research in pedagogy and applied linguistics, that's what I wanted to focus on because I wanted to hone my own craft and I wanted to be able to share that with other people. And then I just eventually started learning more and more about this. And I read Richard Kern's book, Literacy and Language Teaching. I think it was 2009 when I read it for the first time and it just blew my mind and it changed everything for me. Mm. And so that's that's how I ended up doing research on multiliteracies pedagogy. So let's move right into talking about your talk, uh, multiliteracies pedagogy and teacher professional development from research to practice, which we just got to hear you give. But for our listeners who may not have attended, uh, could you give it uh, us a quick summary, maybe starting with what multiliteracies pedagogy is and how it's different from other approaches? Yeah. So. Multiliteracies pedagogy is a pro an approach that prioritizes critical engagement with target language texts. Um, so students are learning through about language through textual content, um, and they're learning about culture through textual content. And the kinds of activities that teachers craft using multiliteracies pedagogy develop students' language proficiency, their ability to communicate but also their understanding of cultural products, practices, and perspectives, and their ability to engage in higher-order thinking. So I see it as being different from communicative language teaching in a number of important ways. One is that it prioritizes text as the main content of language instruction. Um, language also, but, but texts really are at the forefront, whereas in communicative language teaching, um, my experience with that approach is that texts are sort of there to help reinforce what students have learned about vocabulary and grammar, as opposed to something that's there to really engage students with target language cultures. So I think that's an important difference. I think that communicative language teaching really focuses on functional language abilities. So being able to get around town or being able to um, describe what you did last weekend and there's an aspect of that in a multiliteracies approach, but I think that because there's so much more focus on higher order thinking and about critical engagement with text that it just pushes students a little bit further. So I see those as two important differences between those approaches. Can you define text a little bit more? Because I think when people hear text, they automatically go to, you know, these 500 page volume, yeah. big cultural literary works. And that's really not necessarily the type of text, especially in a lower level, that you work with within your framework here. Yeah, so, you know, the, I, as I was saying in the talk today, some of the terminology that is used in the multiliteracies framework is kind of fraught. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the word text, I think, is fraught, too. That's not specific to multiliteracies, but um, the way that text is understood in the, in the research in this area is any... I, don't even, I can't even say document, any cultural artifact, mm -hmm. maybe, yeah. that um, has linguistic features, that has um, maybe image, that has sound, 
or a combination of all of those things and conveys some kind of a message. So under this definition, then, uh, a painting can be a text, a song is a text, a podcast is mm -hmm. a text, um, a, a, a poem is a text. So it can be written, audio, audiovisual, visual, digital, or a combination of those things. And in fact, most texts are multimodal in this way. Mm -hmm. These sort of static written texts are much, much less common in our 21st century society. So thinking about text from this broad perspective, I think also captures the way that we interact with content on a daily basis. Yeah. So you talked about the four knowledge processes that are the hallmark really of um, multiliteracies pedagogy. Could you review those four real quick and maybe yeah, so give those examples that you shared in the talk as well? Yeah, sure. So the four knowledge processes are, um, they reflect the ways that we, that we learn. So we learn by experiencing, conceptualizing, analyzing, and applying. So I should look at my mantras again. We have these really cool mantras for talking about them. So when we talk about experiencing, this is where we're asking students to explore familiar and new ideas. So it's often about their first encounter with a text or getting ready to encounter a text. So an example would be a brainstorming activity where students are told that the text is about a certain theme and they might call on vocabulary that they already know in the language to help them prepare to read. Or it could be answering true-false questions to get global comprehension of these new ideas that are presented in a text. Um, in conceptualizing activity, the mantra that we have for that one is connect language and meaning through text. So this is really where students are sort of drilling down and looking at the nitty gritty of a text and the different component parts that work together to create meaning. So an example activity would be a concept map where you maybe identify three main themes in the reading and then students pull out vocabulary words from the text and connect those in some sort of a conceptual like a visual map. Um, for analyzing, the mantra is question the complexity of culture, language, and ideas. So you sort of step back and look at the big picture. Um, an example would be a debate. And then finally, for applying, this is where students, the mantra is create texts and showcase new knowledge. So this is where students take everything they've learned from a text, the, the language features, the cultural content, the conventions of the text, and then they use that to create something new. Um, so an example would be retelling a story from the perspective of a different character. If they had read Little Red Riding Hood, for instance, they then retell the story from the perspective of, of the wolf or the grandmother, something like that. You showed us two useful tools for teachers uh, that were developed for Carla's Foreign Language Literacies Project. Uh, one was an infographic featuring multiliteracies and other meaning-based approaches, uh, and there was also a lesson analysis checklist. Uh, what can you say about these materials and, and how teachers might be able to make use of them and integrate them into their teaching? Yeah, so the these materials were developed based upon our work with um, teachers not just in post-secondary language programs, but also in K-12 language programs through teaching our summer institute and through um, doing various research projects over the last several years so that we've really been able to identify what their needs are in terms of resources that can support them in implementing multiliteracies pedagogy. So, um, 
you know, let's take the example of the lesson analysis checklist. We designed this to be able to help teachers work within their existing programs. So if they're working with a, a commercially published textbook, for instance, it might be hard for them to think about implementing multiliteracy's principles if that text is grounded in communicative language teaching, for instance. So the checklist allows them to take those existing materials and activities, think about them through a multiliteracy's lens, and then think about how they might adapt what the textbook offers them to be more reflective of multiliteracy's principles. So it's a way of sort of meeting teachers where they are, starting with what they know and are familiar with, and moving towards something that is more reflective of this pedagogical approach. And we we're sort of taking, we've designed all of these materials with the, the idea in the back of our minds that we want students or teachers to develop conceptual understanding of multiliteracies pedagogy, but we also want them to be able to see how that pedagogy can be applied to the realities of their day-to-day -day classroom experience. So we're sort of bringing together the theoretical and the practical to support teachers through the materials. And I think that was really nicely highlighted in that infographic. And it actually reminded me um, a little bit of backward design even. I know throughout the summer and, and in the transition to remote instruction in the spring, we kept stressing to our colleagues that, you know, you always have to start with your end goal. And I, I think the way that this infographic and, and what you shared in the talk, you know, how you move from the foundational concepts to then focus on meaning to then how do you actually implement it in your teaching principles? I think that that's a really um, thoughtful way of, of going about this. Yeah, and even when we're designing curricula using backward design, we always have our approach in the mm -hmm. back of our mind or sort of our overarching goal. So if our overarching goal is literacies development, then we're thinking about those principles when we're crafting our learning objectives and our assessments and then finally moving on to instruction, right? Do you have any suggestions for teachers at various levels um, exactly how to integrate multiliteracies pedagogy if they don't want to overwhelm their students if they're a little bit worried about, you know, especially like analyzing and even applying if the students don't have the linguistic repertoire to do that, where could they start? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think what you brought up about backward design is really important. So anytime that you're trying to integrate something new into your teaching practice or into your curriculum, you always want to go back to your goals and objectives. So look at those and see, you know, how can you prioritize literacies development within those goals and objectives and, and bringing together, you know, the study of language and the study of textual content. So I think that's one thing. The other is start gradually. So experiment, mm -hmm. right? Don't, don't think, oh my gosh, I'm going to revamp my entire program yeah. using the multiliteracies approach. I would say do some experimenting in your own teaching. Maybe each unit try to bring something in that is reflective of a multiliteracies approach. I think the other piece of advice that I would give is that if you're integrating multiliteracies, it doesn't mean you have to abandon communicative language teaching. Mm -hmm. Those two approaches can work together. They're not incompatible. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I don't want teachers to be scared off by mm -hmm. this approach that may seem intellectually a little bit more challenging for students. To your specific question about implementing these activities that are more intellectually challenging for students, 
Um, you know, let's take uh, analyzing as an example. So these are the kinds of activities where students sort of take a big picture view of a text, try to understand the importance and consequences of what they've learned in the text. It's often asking the question, why? Mm -hmm. Why does the text mean things in this way? Or why does, why does this particular cultural phenomenon exist? What, how is it reflective of a particular culture? Those are really challenging questions to answer when you have a low level of proficiency. Um, and so, you know, I would encourage teachers to think really carefully about how they're scaffolding their lesson plans to build to that more higher order thinking, and also to think carefully about how they're constructing the questions that they're asking that focus on analyzing. And are the questions too demanding? Can they be modified in a way that allows students with lower proficiency level to not have to produce too much to be able to give an answer? So giving them options, for instance, mm -hmm. would be a way of doing that. Is it this or is it this? You know, um, that kind of thing. Great. So for people who are interested, where can they learn more and what additional resources are out there for teachers? Yeah, so um, we have more resources on the CARLA website. So that um, lesson analysis checklist that um, we were just talking about is actually up and available on the CARLA website. So it's just carla.umn.edu. But so if you go to the Foreign Language Literacies Project on the CARLA website, in addition to that lesson analysis checklist, we also have an extensive bibliography of scholarly resources about literacies approaches. We have a glossary of uh, key terms that have been um, that have been written in teacher-friendly language, we hope. <laughs> um, and we have also a repository of um, texts. We have a, a organized by language. So I think we have like 12 different languages um, represented. And when you go to the, if you click on the name of the language, a page opens up where you have links to external sites with um, authentic links to authentic texts that you might be able to integrate into your curriculum. Apart from the resources at CARLA, I would also recommend that teachers look at the FLIGHT project. It's F-L-L-I-T-E. And that's a project that's supported by CORAL at the University of Texas at Austin and CIRCLE at the University of Arizona. And um, they provide lesson plans that are grounded in multiliteracies principles around target language text. The focus is slightly different from what I was discussing today and the resources that we have at CARLA, but that's good because we don't want to duplicate mm -hmm. um, what different centers are doing. I would also recommend that teachers take a look at the website called Work in Days by Cope and Colansis. Cope and Colansis are sort of the godparents of Multiliteracies pedagogy. They were part of the New London group that was that mm -hmm. wrote this foundational manifesto on uh, pedagogy of multiliteracies, and their website is newlearningonline.com. And I think if you go to the either the literacies pull down menu or the multiliteracies pull down menu, I can't remember which one. They have the knowledge processes uh, framework explained nice. there with some graphics. And they also have some example activities that, that are associated mm. with each of those knowledge processes. So that's a really great resource. Well, and actually, one thing that stood out to me, too, as you were um, showing us the checklist, is that it's not only a way for teachers to reflect on what they're doing or what they plan on doing, 
but that you also give specific examples where, where teachers can check against expert examples. So yeah, the lesson analysis checklist, in addition to providing this blank form that teachers can use to analyze existing lessons from their textbook, for instance, we also provided a sample analysis to kind of teach teachers how to use the tool. Um, and so you can, you can carry out the analysis and then check your answers against what we, myself and my colleague Mandy Menke, um, how we an analyzed the lesson um, using the checklist ourselves. So yeah, it's kind of cool the way that it sort of scaffolds your learning mm -hmm. and, and orients you to how you might apply this in your own context. Are there any other exciting general Carla updates? I mean, this, this project probably keeps you more than busy, mm -hmm. but is there anything else at Carla that's um, happening right now or that's on the horizon that's of interest to the language teaching community? Yeah, so um, we have two things that I can highlight. One is we have a project called Language Program Direction, and we're creating a series of seven self-study modules for novice and aspiring language program directors of post-secondary language programs. We just launched the first of those modules, um, and it gives an orientation to the roles and responsibilities of language program directors. Um, the remaining six modules are going to be written by experts in the field from universities all over the country. Um, so we're really excited about that resource. And then our really exciting news is that we just received word that we were awarded an International Research and Studies Program grant from the U.S. Department of Education. Oh, great. For a project that we're calling, thank you. Um, yeah, we're really pleased. Um, for a project that's called, we're calling Social Skills, and that stands for Social Justice in Language Education, Strengthening Career Competencies, Intercultural Understanding, and Language Proficiency Through Specialized Materials. Wow. And what we're going to be developing in this project, it's a three-year grant, and we're going to be developing um, a template for creating social justice curricular units. Hmm. Um, and we're also going to be developing curricular units for intermediate-level courses in 10 languages. And the languages are French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, Dutch, Korean, Chinese, Arabic, and Turkish. Wow. So there'll be a total of 20 curricular units, two, two units per language. We're going to be developing an extensive bibliography of social justice resources and a text repository um, organized thematically, including texts from all 10 of the languages in the project. So we're super excited about this. We're also um, launching a professional learning community on social justice and language education. Um, so this is this is a really, really exciting project to be a part of. It is, and very timely. Yeah, indeed. And Important speaking stuff. of language listeners, we also have a talk coming up on social justice and world language education in spring of 2021. So stay tuned for that as well. We'd really appreciate your time, Kate. Uh, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, or are learning. So what is that word? Can I answer two words? <laughs> yes. You wouldn't two be the first. languages? Absolutely. Okay, so I've been thinking about this a lot. So my favorite French word, so French is my um, second language. Um, and my favorite, so that my favorite French word is libellule, and it means dragonfly. Ooh. Libellule. And the reason that I like it is because of the way it sounds. Mm -hmm. I love the la and the ba and then the u sound, and um, I just think it sounds really cool. 
Um, so that's my favorite French word. And then I, uh, the other day when I was thinking about recording this podcast, I think it was yesterday, I was like, oh, wait, an English word. I think my favorite word in English right now is kindness. Hmm. Um, I think that's a very important word right now for what's happening in our world. And um, I really strive to be kind in my daily life you know, working with teachers, working with graduate students, working with undergraduate students, working with folks at Carlo, working with colleagues at other universities. And I, I just think that's an important word for us to all keep in mind these days. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for speaking of language with us today, Kate. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Next week, we will speak with Steve Henhawk. Steve is a visiting lecturer in Cayuga, one of the languages Cornell started offering last year. Until then, the Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.